Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Praise God. Okay, let's start, right? Um, following God's plan for your life, right? Following God's plan for your life, isn't it? Following God's plan for your life, ain't it? Hallelujah. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll first read it, then I'll, I'll say some things, then we'll read it again. Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, okay. From verse 1 says, let's read it together. No, sorry. Make sure you're paying attention while I read it. Jeremiah 29 from verse 1. If, um, if you have an electronic Bible, I'll encourage you to use NIV or ESV. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Israel to Babylon. A little background context for people that may not know this part of this little part of um, Hebrew history. In the um, later part of the seventh century. Let's say around 605, I believe. I just checked now. Around 605, the new Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar was conquering, right, from that Iraq, Iran side. was conquering down westwards towards the Mediterranean. So they conquered everybody, northern Egypt, uh, Egypt, all those Judean cultures. They conquered all that side. So they, conquered, they got to Jerusalem. They got to Judea and conquered it also. And when they conquered it, um, I think Jehoiakim was the king. Let me, let me check. Just one minute. Yes, Jehoiakim was the king at the time. So Nebuchadnezzar asked him to pay tribute. That was 605. Four years later, um, Jehoiakim decided that he's not, playing, he's not paying tribute anymore. So Nebuchadnezzar decided to go back. And this time, not only did he conquer and besiege um, Judea, he also took all their princes and took all their educated people, all their elders, all their most skillful workers. You know, basically, he just did what UK and America is doing to Nigeria now. You understand that? The so-called their most skilled people, their best people, cream of the crop, and packed everybody to Babylon to train them and to use them for himself. He did two things by doing that. The first thing he did was that he crippled Judea, like he crippled them for the next 1,000 years, like because when the leaders of a, of a land are taken away, the elites of the land are taken away, that, that, that country is gone. Because everybody, every, every nation requires leadership. Do you understand that? At the same time, in that, by doing that also, he also enriched his people by increasing the human capital of his nation so that he now got the best minds. Imagine what Daniel was doing for Babylon. Imagine doing it in his own country. Do you understand that? <laughs> but Daniel was not doing it for his country. He was not doing it for another person's country. So he did that by weakening so he weakened the other those other countries and strengthened his position um then i think some years after by 587 his son nebuchadnezzar ii went a second time and packed the remaining cream of the crop and packed all their you know elite people and utterly took them away the few people that were left very few people that were left ended up marrying you know with the people around the judean this and that now became the samirians that the by the time of jesus after they came back from exile, those people were now looking at those ones as dirty people, as dogs, because their blood has mixed. They are not real Jewish people again. 
they are the real Jewish people. Do you understand that? Do you understand that context? So that was the context of Jeremiah's prophecy. So the first exile had just happened, right? And they are, the first exile had just happened. They are just taking people away to um, Babylon. And Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem and he was prophesying to the Israelites in Jerusalem. So that's the context. Verse 2 now says, This was after Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, this is what Jeremiah said. Hallelujah. This is what the Lord Almighty, <clears throat> the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile and from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me just read it first before I go into it. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat when they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the, the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. That's the whole message on his own. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and be found. And you, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I'm going to take my time on this series. I'm going to take my time. Because while meditating and contemplating and preparing for this, I discovered that this is... Probably one of the things that this matter, the blessing of this teaching, is part of the reasons why it explains a lot about why the church in Nigeria is so the way it is, and even the way the church is globally. There is a tension that I believe that there are many things in, in Revelation. There are many things that God has revealed to us in the scriptures. There are many things that God has showed us in scriptures that I believe are proper paradoxes and there are some things that we actually have to hold in tension. I noticed something that when I began to say this thing on social media often, that there are some things we hold in tension. I noticed that some, people, some other people now started saying it, but they now started saying it for something else. 
When I'm talking about proper tensions, I'm talking about paradoxes. We're talking about things that the Lord has expressly revealed in his, wo- in his word that are evidenced in his word, but do not fit with the modal logic on our plane of existence. For example, how one being can be three persons. Personality, obviously, is not the same as being, but we don't have any physical experience of it in this world. But it makes sense that in a, 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 an entity of higher dimensions is probably possible for that, for that entity. So when God reveals himself as one being with three persons, we know that he's not our mate, therefore we can accept it, even though we don't actually see it. His word is true. Do you understand that? When God says, just like we read here, I am the one that banished you. I am the one that took you to exile. But when you read it in history books or read it in Wikipedia, it says Nebuchadnezzar is the one that banished them. It becomes a problem. We now say, which one is God doing? Which one is man doing? Both are happening. 100% God, 100%. And I've taught you these things before. Those are proper tensions. Those are things that are evidenced in God's word. I'm not saying, attention is not, God wants us to be content, but we should also be materialistic. Do you understand that? That's not attention. That is a lie. Because I saw someone say that. You say, okay, well, it's good. Just like someone said, we should be holding proper attention. That is why it is possible for us to say that we should be content, but God wants every Christian to be rich. <clears throat> you see, eh, I've learned something that no matter how much you teach the truth, and you're telling people correct people, I learned that thing with 180s that became um, evangelist, number one evangelist atheist. Many years ago, maybe they're just knowing him now, you're arguing with him. Man, I knew him many years ago. We'll be arguing on WhatsApp till 1 a.m. I found out that all the things that I was using to win the argument was ammunition. Because you will learn, go back, and use it to counter somebody that does not know as much. Sometimes you think you are correcting something on social media. Meanwhile, people are listening and using it so that they can use it for their own agenda. How can we say holding paradox for the Trinity is the same as holding, holding the paradox for contentment and materialism? I, do you understand that? What I want to talk about here is not even something that we hold in tension. It's not something that is a paradox. This is something that is very easy and very clear from God's word. And what is that issue? It is the issue of what the focus of the believer should be. I think I talked about it in the last two services, but I'm, I'm going to go more into it. And all that. Listen to me, I'm going to say a lot of things that I've said before. But these things, when I was planning the liturgical calendar for the year, I discovered that it occurred to me that there are marks, like maybe 20 real distinct messages you can preach from the Bible. Topical messages, themes. Marks, probably like 20, and I'm being generous. The truth is that the word of God is the same. But being part of, the, being part of this broken world and still being in these perishable bodies, we have a lot of frailty. We have a lot of weakness. And part of our weakness is that we tend to forget things easily. Do you understand that? And so that's what, like Apostle Peter, the elder says, Second Peter, he says that I will not, I will keep bringing to your remembrance these things. I will keep teaching you because teaching you over and over is not grievous. So there are a lot of things that will keep seeing, a lot of things that you keep seeing, a lot of things that you keep seeing till it properly sinks. And even after it has sunken into you, we have to keep reminding you so that you don't forget. Do you understand that? What is this issue I'm talking about that people look like as if it's a tension? But it's not really a tension. It's the issue of what the focus of a believer should be in this world. 
And I've noticed that people's answer to it is usually informed by their context. And so that's why the American culture of the American dream of let's get things to happen, we can deliver ourselves from poverty, we can make a powerful nation and all that, it entered into their way of thinking and entered into their Christianity, which generated certain brands of, you know, theology that was now exported all around the world. And so these brands of theology suggest to us that the focus of a believer is here, that the things of the Spirit are tools that will enable us to make this world a better place. Do you understand that? We are given supernatural abilities and we are given supernatural powers and God is with us and the essence of salvation is to enable us make this world a better place, that we should use what we have a better place. And that is why the fruit of that theology is where you begin to hear things like people are, people are not meant to die because if you die it's because you just want to die. You are thinking of death too much and all that because that is it. That's where that spirit comes from. It's an American thing. Do you understand that? It's an American thing. We can make it happen. We can do this world. We can fix this world. This world is where we run this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to speak slowly so I can understand because this matter is a serious matter. But when you come to the Bible, you see that the focus of a believer should be something else. Apostle Paul says that we should set our eyes on heavenly things. And then now it looks like as if someone that is paying attention, the question will now be, what should be our focus? Do you understand that? What should be our focus? This series will help you to understand properly. Because the truth is that there are two extremes that can come from it. There is the escapist extreme, which is, Heaven is our focus, therefore nothing in this earth, earth matters. And if you take it seriously enough, if you take that extreme seriously enough, you begin to sound like a Gnostic person. You know, Gnosticism is a very old heresy that came from the Middle East and the Mediterranean area that believes that this world is fundamentally bad, that this world is evil, that there's something wrong with this world, that this world is fundamentally bad in itself. Therefore, everything in this world is bad, so we should not look at this world. We should look at something to come. Do you understand that? It's actually a Gnostic error. It's actually heresy. It's wrong for Christians to think like that. But then there's the other extreme of this world is where we are, we are meant to be. We are not meant to die. We are meant to, all of us are meant to be very rich. We are, we are not meant to ever fall sick. When people have faith long enough, they can live to 900 and something. If you don't have faith, that's why you are dying at the age of 70 and all those kinds of um, errors, all right? That is another extreme. The truth is which of it is which. And then your instinct will be like, okay, let's hold the two of them together because their intention. This is not Trinity matter. There's no holding intention. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Did you hear what I just said now? Hmm. This is not like the Trinity. This is not about, this is not like providence, divine God sovereignty and human agency. This is not a matter of tension. This is something that is very clear that we will look into God's word now that you will see. And I thank God so much that the Lord just opened my eyes to this chapter to really help to explain it properly. Why am I using Jeremiah chapter 29? If you check 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you will see what Apostle Paul says there. He says in verse 6, now this, he was speaking about things that happened in the Old Testament and he says in verse 6, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And he went on to say some other things. And in verse 11, he now says again, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. 
on whom the combination of the ages has what? Come. Now, this is, I'm sorry that's, okay, let me not assume. Let me not to assume. In case you don't know, this particular theme, this, this idea, this concept of the Old Testament being written for our sake is very strong. You see it in the book of Colossians chapter 2 that all the things of the Old Testament were shadows and now Christ is the substance. You see it, you see it in Hebrews chapter 8, you see it in Hebrews chapter 10 or thereabouts. The Old Testament that were, were shadows, now we have the substance. That was, I read 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. Right? So, Paul is telling us here, and I love the way he put it here. He said all those things were written so that they can be examples for us and warnings for us. The things that happen in the Old Testament are meant to, we're meant to look at it and see God's thought because God does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? So, the way God was thinking in the Old Testament is the same way he's thinking now. God did not change. It's the covenant that changed. This fact is very important. I know this is not what this message is about, but it's important for you to understand this very well. God did not change. Do not fall into Marcion's error, which is resurfacing nowadays, that somehow the Old Testament was somehow different from the New Testament, and the Old Testament, something was wrong there, and that's why Jesus in the New Testament would condemn things that happened in the Old Testament. There is nothing that the prophets in the Old Testament did that Jesus would condemn. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Because everything that the, the prophets of old did was God moving them to do. As the apostles tell us, 1 Peter chapter 1, this, no scripture came by private interpretation, but these holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1 says the same thing. These men were requiring and looking unto the salvation that was coming unto us. And being moved by the Spirit, they wrote those things down. First Timothy, um, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, same thing. All scripture is given to us by the expression of the Holy Spirit that God breathed for us. Church, are we together? So Jesus would not condemn the prophets because all the things that the prophets were doing were him. That's why Jesus gave the ultimate um, commendation, the ultimate seal of approval in Matthew chapter 5 when he says that I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. You are not entitled to in any way suggest that Jesus would in one wise or any other wise, lawyers give me how you guys always talk about it in contracts, in one wise or any other wise or in any way or through any corner, suggests that Jesus would condemn the Old Testament. He says, I did not come to condemn it, I did not come to abolish it, but I came to what? Fulfill it. And he says, not one jot will pass away. He now said, my own word too, not one jot will pass away. Therefore, the law and the prophets are the word of God. So, Jeremiah's prophecy here was written down for our learning. And there's, there are some treasures of learning here that will compare with the New Testament what, the, what Jeremiah said here, what we can learn from it. The apostles have already said it plainly. But you know sometimes you take the apostles for granted. When you just quote Paul saying something straight, it is not deep. You understand? You guys are not feeling me. When, you, when Paul just says something, we are citizens of heaven. It is not deep. But when you go and look at the angle that Jeremiah brings it from, and you look at what Paul meant when he was talking about it, you will now see what Paul was quoting, where Paul was coming from. It now feels deeper. You understand that? So let's read from the beginning. Let's read that prophecy again. So let's get into the journey. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, 
says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, just a, a note of a note here that is very interesting. It's not the focus of this message. But it's not that very interesting is that unless you want to say that Jeremiah was wrong or Jeremiah was lying, in which case the entire Old Testament is a lie, in which case there's no Christianity, God does not run away from taking responsibility. God knows that the book stops at his table. God knows that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He does not run away from taking responsibility. It is you, based on the heretical, neoliberal, postmodern sensibilities of humanism. I'm sorry, it makes sense in my head. But after saying that, I know that's not make sense to a lot of people. What I mean is, it is you people with your nowadays Western ideas of what is good and evil that will look at things that happen in the Old Testament and want to judge those things as bad. And because it's bad, and you know my God is a good God, you want to make an excuse for the God. Alright? But God is saying here, I, Nebuchadnezzar might have done it, but I did it. Nebuchadnezzar was doing it freely. Nobody was pushing him, but I'm still the one that was doing it. He now says, I took them, he now says, I carried them into exile. And this is the first thing that I want to establish here. This is this thing I'm about to say now, this issue of being exiles, being foreigners, being strangers in another land is the fundamental, is the crux, is the cornerstone of understanding how we behave and how we focus in this world when we compare heaven and this earth. We are exiles. We are foreigners. This world is not our own. Let's look at it in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start from Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 13. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. So, people that die serving God did not die because they did not have faith. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter how big a man that says it is. It doesn't matter how well spoken. Anybody that says that death, you understand what I'm saying? It's error. It's error. Let God be true and let every man be what? All these people were still living by faith when it, I'm saying, you know, to sound funny, some of you are laughing because huh, we know now we have been TBC for over one year. It's not everybody that knows. Some people are listening to this message now. It just shocked me when I traveled to know that people are listening. People are listening. So don't feel like, why is Pastor Sam saying all this common, this is not common sense. So, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised and they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This is one fundamental thing about Christian faith. People who walk by faith. This is one fundamental mentality that you have. Any kind of faith that somehow excludes the idea that you are a foreigner and a stranger in this world is not Christian faith. It's something else. It might look like Christian faith at first, but if you work it out properly, you will find out that it's not Christian faith. 
It is new age mysticism cooked in the pot of American culture and exported with speaking in tongues. See, I'm not smiling with error again. I saw what the descendants of Charles Spurgeon are doing. I saw what the descendants of John Knox are doing. I saw Luther and Calvin's descendants. I'm not smiling with any error. I'm not smiling with any error. Listen to me. This is Christian faith. Faith is realizing that you are a stranger and a foreigner in this earth. That's, look at the, that's the way the writer of Hebrews said it. Look at the way Apostle Paul said it. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Many of you know it. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are actually from another place in heaven and we are in this world like the Israelites taken as exiles. It is not our real home. It is not where we are from. We will never feel fully comfortable in this world. We will always have a sense of being an outsider. Listen to me. Immigrants, exiles, foreigners in a new land behave differently than citizens in that land, irrespective of the amount of privileges they give them. If you are not in your father's country, if you are not in your fatherland, your behavior will be different. There's a way you behave that will be different. You will recognize the way the people of the citizens are behaving and you will recognize how you are different from them. Imagine now being in a country where they will never give you citizenship, like a few countries that we know of. They will never give you citizenship. You are here to work and when you are old, go back to your country. All the while when you are there, it is strong in your awareness that this country is not my country. So, the way right-thinking immigrants will do, the way the exiles will behave, they don't try to become people in that country because they know it's not their country. Especially people who are coming from a country where they don't have a sense of inferiority complex. They recognize that that country is not their country. That's why there's fundamentally something wrong. If you are a Christian, listen to me, if you are a Christian and people of this world are behaving one way, and you, have, and you want to start behaving like them. You want to fit in with them. There's something wrong. Because you are forgotten or you don't know where you are from. You are forgotten. You don't know where you are from. Look at the way Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. See the way he says it. 1 Peter 1 17. Listen. He says... Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live out your time on earth as if you are a foreigner in this world, as if you are an immigrant, as if you are in exile, as if you are a stranger. This is the fundamental idea, the mindset that you keep that makes you put everything in perspective, 
that you are not mixing your priorities and what should be not important becomes the most important thing to you. Remembering that you are actually an exile, that you are actually a foreigner in this world. This world is not your own. Look at the post. Peter says this again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Look at it. He says this. Dear friends, who is a friend of Apostle Peter here? If you are an enemy of Peter, raise up your hand. Okay, so he's talking to you. Dear friends, I urge you, as what? Are we together? Are we together? Dear friends, I urge you as what? To abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. You are foreigners and exiles in this world. This world is not your own. You are citizens of heaven. So just like Jeremiah was speaking ahead as a shadow of things to come, was written down for us to learn the way God thinks about these matters, he was beginning to tell them that though you are in exile in Babylon, there is a way that you are meant to behave. There's a way I want you to behave. There's a way that the Lord intends for you to behave. We'll see everything together now. It puts everything in perspective. It is understanding this thing as a foundation that we can now begin to talk about how you follow God's plan for your life in this world. Because if you don't understand the, if, if the proper, if you don't have the right perspective of the foundation, if you don't have the right perspective of the foundation, brothers and sisters, listen to me. We are exiles in this world. This world is not a planet of the apes. I saw, I learned something very interesting. I learned, you know, in an aquarium, I learned that most sharks, most sharks actually have to keep moving. So if you see them, you see them constantly moving. Constantly moving. My wife asked her, don't these things sleep? I didn't even know. I said, ah, I think they sleep, but they always, they're just moving when they sleep. And also, a fact about them. They have to keep moving. And the reason why they have to keep most of them, not all of them, they have to keep moving because their gills need oxygen to enter it so they can sustain themselves. So they are moving, is like moving through the water to capture the oxygen bubbles in the water. Do you understand what I'm saying now? So that's why they keep moving through the water. When you see them from outside, to be like as if, ah, these sharks are active. They are busy. They are busy. You understand that? They look busy. When you see them, say, ah, see, they're just busy. They're just moving around. One hour, they have not, one minute, they will not stop. They're just moving. 24 hours, they just move. Say, ah, ah, these sharks are busy. You know the tire? They are very busy. And in your mind, you'll be saying, these sharks are busy. Meanwhile, what the shark is actually doing is just surviving. It doesn't have a plan of what I would do with my life. It doesn't even have a concept of what I would do with my life. His life is just surviving. Just moving to keep surviving. And a lot of people are living like that. Even believers, when you wake up in the morning, you are just thinking like a shark in an aquarium. Only survival. What will I eat? What will I wear? How much will my job pay me? Who will marry me and help me have children? Who will I kiss? Who will impregnate me? Or who will I impregnate? And then I have children. And then pay their school fees. And then I grow old and die. You are not a shark. You are not a chimpanzee. You have the spirit of God. That means that you are not just busy so that you can survive. You are not just busy so that you can just keep moving. 
Your life is more than that. Your life is more than that of sparrows. And your life is more than that of lilies. That means that when God looks at you, he's looking at you as someone that is created to do things, to create things, to make things happen that far exceed a lifestyle of just surviving. Just what I just said now. It means that God has created you to live a lifestyle that far exceeds a lifestyle of just surviving. What will I eat? What will I wear? What will I do? Your life is more than that. He now says, now let's go back. Now says verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So marriage seminar is good. All right? Mm-hmm. So that they too, but just not on Sunday, okay? <laughs> so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because of it, because of because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. So the God Almighty, the God of Israel, actually says, steward that land in which you are in exile. So just like them, we are in exile in this world. And he says, Marry. Have kids. Let your kids also marry. Build houses. Build vineyards. Do all these things. Pray for that place where you are that it will prosper. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When we look through the scriptures from the old to the new, intuitively we can see over and over and over and over again that God has a heart for people, for we prospering in this world. Don't forget we've defined what prosperity means. And our teaching on lingual as dust, okay? But don't worry, I'll repeat myself. We see in the Bible that God says he wants us to prosper in this world. We see suggestions that God is, you know, I've always told you guys that God is not agnostic on any matter. God that knows when every leaf that falls from a tree is aware of every leaf that falls from a tree. Trust me, God is not, there's no part or detail of your life that God does not know or God is not concerned about. So we see from the scriptures over and over that in different ways and in different, through different people, the Lord will suggest that I want you to prosper on the earth. I want you to prosper on the earth. I want you to prosper on the earth. And just like God is speaking through Jeremiah to the Israelites, he's speaking to us also. We can see that's what Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy. Let's read it, 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2 from verse 1. You see, when Jeremiah was saying, pray for the land you are in. Pray that it will prosper so that you too will prosper. That is what Paul was just echoing here again. When he says, build houses, marry and be given. This is what, that's what Paul is summarizing here. First Timothy chapter 2 from verse 1 says, I urge you, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for who? All people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live what? Peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and what? Holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. 
So you see that it actually pleases God that we live quiet lives, prosperous lives, dignified lives, godly lives, so that we can serve God in this world. It pleases God. That's what the, that's what the Lord also said through Jeremiah to the children of Israel. That that land where you are, you are an exile there, but prosper in that land. And this is the cross of the problem. This is the bone of the contention. That people want to make a paradox where there's no paradox. And you want to hold the tension when there's no tension. You see these kinds of scriptures. And, it, and what you are coming to your mind is, hey, God wants us to be very rich. God doesn't want us to ever die. God doesn't want us to just be enjoying this world like Dan Guti. Every Christian should be like Dan Guti. This is the will of God because you can see. It says, and then people now don't have a sense of perspective of what that actually means. You will understand. Let's go on. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Verse, nine, verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams, to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Just a, a, a little side note here is that Jeremiah was telling them that God wants them to occupy in this world, right? You know, God wants them to occupy in this world. And then, of course, some people were telling them that, no, God doesn't want to occupy. We are seeing something. We are seeing angels. We, saw, we are seeing something on the mountain. And what we are seeing is that God is actually going to deliver us. He's going to take us back to Jerusalem tomorrow. Don't take us back to Jerusalem tomorrow. And Jeremiah was telling him that, see, God said it's a lie. He now added an interesting note. He says, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. And that's why I was telling you guys some time ago. I did a post some time ago. Eh? Every error, every false prophecy, every heresy that you see, there are two people that are at fault for it. Do you know that? The teacher and who? The hearers. The teachers and the hearers. Every false prophecy that you hear, where you see false prophecy being consistently churned out in a place, who are the people at fault? The false teacher and the false hearers or the itchy hearers. Because demand creates what? Supply. Demand creates supply. If enough people are itchy yet, they will heal pop teachers unto themselves, telling them what they want to hear. Second Timothy chapter 2. That's why he now says here, the dreams that you are encouraging them to have. And every minister has a trap of this. Listen to me and I understand what, what he's talking about here. If I come on a Sunday service and I notice that after taking some particularly nice worship songs that have some very good chords and the head of the keyboard is, the head of the keyboard is very correct and it gives me good melody and then I do certain things and I say certain things and people respond, you know? And after service, people now say, sir, I was very blessed. Just take this more check. Just take this. Sir, please, what's your account number? I just want to say something, send something small, because God just put it in my heart after that meeting that I should bless you. You know that every Sunday. You understand? <laughs> every Sunday, you will single. Every Sunday, the keyboardist, the day the keyboardist does not play well, is in trouble. Because that school fees is playing with. <laughs> Demand creates supply. If a man tells a lie or exaggerates a testimony to exalt his office, and then in exalting the office, people respond to him more and are guarding down to him more, you best believe 
That even when he doesn't even plan to be a lie, you'll just be telling lies. <laughs> so take it as you. That's why the approval of man is not confirmation of the approval of God. In fact, many times, the approval of a lot of men is suggesting that you're on the broad way. Now let's go on. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. What does that mean for us? When our time on this earth is done, God is going to bring us back to our real home. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, when the Americans interpreted this scripture, they made it sound like as if this statement is a statement that every Christian can claim for themselves. That, uh, you know, the, um, um, God, God, I know the plans that I have towards you. Plans of good and not of evil to, to prosper you. And people now say that that means that God wants me to be rich because I know the plans I think towards you know. Jeremiah was talking to a specific group of people. He was talking to the Israelites. Do you understand that? Unless you want to claim their exile too. Do you want to go on exile? Do you want to go on Babylonian exile? Because if you want to claim it directly, then you should also claim that they will kill the wives, rape the daughters, um, you know, remove babies from inside the stomach of pregnant women. Make people slaves. Are you claiming that too? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Why are your face so strange? You don't want you don't like the truth? No. He was talking to a specific group of people, but it was written for our what? Learning. Now, as a Christian, you are not the Israelites. You are not in you are, you know, you are not the Israelites, and you're not in a physical Babylon. But what is the application for us? What is this saying to us? What is the hope? And the future of the believer, Romans chapter 8. Let's start from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. From verse 15. This is Paul praying. So, God, so the God who had a plan and a hope for the children of Israel has plan and hope for all his children. Do you understand that? He has a plan for his children. So, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not a God that will have plan for Israel, but not have plan for you. Do you understand that? He's not a God that will have a plan for Israel, but will not have a plan for you. He has a plan for you. And you have a hope. You have a future. As an exile in this world, look at what it means. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So he's praying so that people can know, can know better. So he can know God better. He now says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has what? Called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his what? Holy people. So when we're going to learn what was written to the Israelites for our sake, the hope that we have is the glorious inheritance that we have are in salvation. Do you understand that? So when he's saying that I have thoughts towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, the good thought that he has towards us is our salvation, which starts with our regeneration in this world and which culminates in the redemption of our bodies. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
What is our hope? When Paul was talking about the hope, when, when Ezekiel was talking about the hope of the Israelites, what is the hope of the believers? Let's read from verse 18. Romans chapter 8 from verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is our hope. This is our future. Do you understand that? The hope and future of the Israelites was that they will come back after 70 years and they will be restored. And God fulfilled that word, just like we see through Daniel and later through Ezra and Nehemiah. Do you understand that? So that good hope and future that he had for them was fulfilled in their own time. What is the learning for us? What is our own hope? What is our own good future that prospers us? This is it. What we are suffering now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. What is that glory? Verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What is the revelation of the children of God? For the creation was subjected to sub, sub frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. So God subjected all of creation to a painful existence, to, a, to certain kinds of suffering. That's why people can fall sick. And that's why even animals can suffer and feel pain. And that's why, you know, there's poverty in this world. That's why there's all kinds of evil in this world. God subjected all those things in hope. There's a hope that is coming. Verse 21. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So there's a glory that is coming for all of us here. There's a glory that is coming that is outside of this world. There is a glory that is coming. There is a freedom that is coming that this world cannot give us. And when we enter into that freedom, even all of creation, all the plants and animals will also enjoy that freedom with us. That's why where we are going to is actually a new heaven and a new world, earth. It's a new earth where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more sorrow. Look at it, verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but even we ourselves. So as the world is broken and as unbelievers are suffering, even so, Christians can also what? Suffer. Do you understand that? Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. What is the adoption to sonship? The redemption of our bodies. There's something inside of us groaning that this world cannot supply. There's a desire. Like, look at where C.S. Lewis puts it. He says that, see, if you have a desire that this world does not supply, then it means that that desire was made for a, for a world that is not in this world. Just like what I'm saying to you. The way... The reason why things don't feel right is because things are not right. I get what I'm saying to you. The reason why things don't feel right is because things are not right. But the solution to things not feeling right is not for you to now try to do what God did not do. He said he subjected the creation in hope. You, you are saying you will unfrustrate un, un it. He said he made the world like this so that we can look to heaven. If this world was heaven, there will be no heaven to look forward to. So he said he subjected it in hope. And even all the animals, your donkeys and cows and dogs that are looking at you, you think they're just looking at you. Today, they are praying that one day, you two, you will go to heaven so they can go. 
Church, I was together. The reason why things don't feel right, the reason why our minds can be ill and we can have some kind of mental illness is because the, the, the body that we are in is corruptible. But it's going to be taken away one day. A day is coming when there will be no more depression. There will be no more mania. No more malaria. No more schizophrenia. No more typhoid. No more cancer. No more depression. That day is coming. It is coming when there will be no more ulcer. When nobody can break your heart anymore. And no man can disappoint you anymore. No man can promise you marriage and betray you after five years. A day is coming when that thing will not happen again. So even we also, we groan inwardly. You have to understand, this is the reason why we are exiles in this world. So when unbelievers are trying to enjoy everything now, we know that we are not trying to enjoy everything now. Because this place is temporary. We are exiles here. We are going somewhere else. Church, I will together. He now says, we're looking for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 25. He says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it what? Patiently. This is the hope that he has for us. This is the future that he has for us. When you have something, that if you are hoping for something that you don't dare have, what do you do? You wait for it, what? Patiently. Verse 26, it now says, In the same way the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us through wordless goals. And he who searches the hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Hallelujah. This is our hope. This is our hope. We're going to have a redemption of body. We're going to be freed from the limitations of this world. Hallelujah. So, when we go back to Jeremiah 29, and he says, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What is your hope? Do you see it now? What is your future? Do you see it now? So, your future and your hope is not marry and build houses. Do you see the difference now? Are you following what I'm saying to you? You can see where we started from. He said marry, build houses, and settle. But you still have a hope and a future. So your hope and your future is not marry, build houses, give your sons to marriage. It is not pray for the land that you are in. That is what he's giving you now. You still have a hope and a future that is greater than marry and build houses. Do you understand that now? So when a person now comes and tells you that the hope and your future is marry and build houses, you know the person wants to destroy your life. Because if your hope and your future is in this world, you have all men most words. Do you understand the Bible now? This is the reason why if something happens and you're not able to build the house and you're not able to marry or give sons in marriage or the land that you are in is not prospering, this is the reason why it does not change anything about your hope and your words. Do you understand Christianity? Let's go on. He now says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord. 
and I will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. And this is the crux of what this series is now going to be. God now promises them something. He says, whenever you search me, search for me with all your heart, whenever you pray to me with all of your heart, whenever you look for me, you will find him. Whenever you search for me with all your heart, I am not far from any one of you. Whenever you pray to me and you look for me with all your heart, you will what? Find me. And this is the crux of the matter. This is the crux of this series. We are exiles in this world. We have a future. I'm a stranger here. I have a future. I have a hope. But while I am here, he says, make the best of what I have. If you can marry, marry while you are here. If you can build houses, do so. If you have children, give them out in marriage. But I have a future and a hope that is more important. If I'm in a land, I should pray and participate in it so that it can prosper. In any way I can contribute for the land I'm in to prosper, I will also do it. This is where the extremes are. Some people will say, let us participate in this land, let us prosper. As if this is our hope and our future. Do you understand that? They will say, marry, build house, as if the house is the hope and the future. And then there are others that will say that don't build house, don't marry, don't prosper the land. You only have a hope and a future. What does the Bible say? Marry, build houses, but you have a hope and a future. There is no tension there. There is no paradox there. One is more important than the other. One is fixed. The other is a variable. One is the priority. The other is optional. One is primary. The other is secondary and tertiary. The hope and the future is eternal. Look at the way he said it. He says you are going to be in Babylon for only 70 years. But your hope and your future is going to be very long. Imagine jeopardizing your hope and your future for just 70 years. I guess what I'm saying to you now. This is the true perspective. So how do I know when I am overdoing the house building? If you are overdoing the house building in a way that is jeopardizing your hope and your future, you know you are still overdoing. Do you understand that now? By the time you are marrying among the Babylonians, in such a way that you don't want a hope and a future again, you know you are ready, you are done. Do you understand that now? By the time you are getting in, you say you want Babylon to prosper. Because of that, you two, you now tebati Babylon. Sorry, for those that don't speak Yoruba. You two, you now sit down with Babylon. And now say this Babylon is not, this is where we're going to be. And forget your hope and your future. And you're sitting down with Nebuchadnezzar. Because Jeremiah said this land must prosper. Me too. I will stay with Nebuchadnezzar. And then both of us will go to hell together. Do you understand what's happening here now? So while you are there for 70 years, if Nebuchadnezzar asks for your advice, on how to make it prosper. You give him advice. But you will not give him the kind of advice that will prevent you from going back to where you are originally coming from. I hope my English is not too much. Do you understand the Christian culture now? This is the right perspective. This is how, to, this is how we ought to behave ourselves. We have a hope and a future. Even though we make the best of what we have now. Now, a lot of these things are practical. We're going to take these things one after the other. How do I know when I'm going too far? How do I know which house to build and which house to not build? Is building house for each and every single person 
How many houses should I build? You know, there are a lot of these details. He says, you want the land to prosper. Okay, after praying, what else can I do to help the land prosper? When am I going too far with helping this land to prosper? When have I become too invested? How do I know the best way to help the land to prosper without destroying my own soul? These are the questions about following God's plans for your life. Church, I'm going to explain to you. But this is the good news. And I love the way Jeremiah ended this part. As the Lord, you know, speaking through Jeremiah, ended this part. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you pray, I will show up. If you search me with all your heart, if you search for me with all your heart, you will surely find me. That means, brothers and sisters listening to me, as we are exiles and foreigners in this world, all the things that we need to know about God's plan for us in this world, all the things that we need to know about following God's plan for our lives in this world, if we ask, he will show us. You understand what I'm saying to you now? That's what we're going to be exploring in the next few weeks. How do we hear from God? How do we know? How does God direct our steps so that as exiles, we behave like we should believe in Babylon without jeopardizing our eternal Jerusalem? How do we go follow God's plan for our life? That's what we're going to be exploring in the next few weeks. Hallelujah. But listen to me. And this is where a lot of people like, you will find out when we start talking about it. I know I've thought it many times before, so you're not going to hear anything new. But listen to me. It's not esoteric. It's not esoteric. It's not something floating up there in the sky. It is not legalistic. That means it is not based on your performance. I got what I'm saying to you. <laughs> what did God say? He says, if you pray to me, I'll answer you. It's not because you fulfilled certain requirements that God will respond to you. Let's, let's, let's end with John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 1 says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. You see that? The sheep do what? Listen. Did he say listened? They do what? Listen. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Continuous presence. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep do what? Follow him. Because they do what? Know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Listen to me. If you are a child of God, let me end this today's sermon by giving you peace of mind. If you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, and I believe every one of you here is, if you are a child of God, you know God's voice. If you are a child of God, when God speaks, you know. When God speaks, you know. And when a stranger is speaking, when Satan is speaking, you also know. If you're a child of God, you know God's voice. Listen to me. God will lead you. It is not in esoteric. You actually see that it is actually very simple and straightforward. It is not esoteric. It is not something hanging out there. 
It is not something for certain deep realms or certain men that have fasted certain levels of fasting that are now seeing visions of monkeys and inwins and eboras in the corners of their parlor. No. It is for every child of God. For all his sheep. If you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit, the Lord leads you. You know his voice. And as many as have the Spirit of God, they are what? Sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Every child of God is led. We have everything that God can use to lead somebody and we will look at it together. So it's nothing esoteric. We will talk about the reasons why at certain points in your life, it looks like as if you have made a mistake. Maybe I didn't hear God. Why is this situation like this? Does it mean I've not heard God? We'll talk about it. We'll look at it from God's word. You'll find that you're not the only one. Because the leading of God does not mean comfort. Do you understand what I just said to you? The leading of God does not mean consistent comfort. Satan can be leading you and you'll be having a good time. God can be leading you and you'll be suffering. I hope you know that. We will see. We will see. We will see what a man's priority should be. What is purpose about? I know we've talked about it over and over and over and over. We'll talk about it. What is purpose about? What is purpose of God? Can the plan of God for my life to be as rich as Dan Gote? We will see. Can the plan of God for my life to be the man with the biggest church in the whole world? We will see. Following God's plan for us. We'll look into God's word and God will help us and order our steps. Hallelujah. Praise God. Just let's bow down our heads. I pray that you to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. When I've done some things recently, you might have been unfaithful in your work. You might have made some vows. You might have made up your minds that your mind that you will do certain things, that you will live in greater satisfaction, and you failed. The Lord wants you to know that even when you are faithless, He remains faithful. Even when you have been unfaithful, He will remain, he remains faithful to you. He will not deny Himself. And what He has said to you is that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your sins are forgiven. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord with boldness. Your sins are forgiven. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous. Come to the Lord with boldness. Pray with boldness. Pray to God with boldness. Pray to God with boldness. Come to the Lord with boldness. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray for you. I pray for all your things while you are in exile. I pray for all your things while you are in exile. The work of your hands will prosper. In the name of Jesus. In accordance with the word of God's holy apostles, the work of your hands will prosper and you will live a dignified life. In the name of Jesus. You will have enough to give to those in need. In the name of Jesus. Your marriage and your things that pertain to that will prosper. In the name of Jesus. Your steps are ordered in the name of Jesus. The Lord will keep you and all that concerns you. The Lord will keep you and all that concerns you. And when the corruption of this world is spreading, it will not touch you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you just lift up your hands and give God thanks? Thank you. Say, though I'm a stranger, I will prosper. I will not lose sight of my hope and my future. I will not lose sight of my heaven and my things will prosper in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you because you're always with us.
Thank you for always being with us. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.